Welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. Hey, welcome to this new episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. I'm your host, Mike McGarry. I'm here in our online studio with Tim Bielharts. Tim is the children's ministry advisor, lecturer, trainer, and writer for Anglican Youth Works. He's also the children's pastor at Soul Revival Church. Tim's currently enrolled in uh, pre-PhD work at Macquarie University, uh, researching the social nature of childhood faith formation in the context of intergenerational church communities. Uh, Really interested in talking with you uh, about that, maybe another episode. Uh, Tim lives in Sydney, Australia, uh, with his wife and kids, and has a brilliant accent. So, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. All right. Glad to have you here. Uh, so, hey, before we dive into um, our, our conversation today about uh, biblical youth ministry and tough places, it's always fun to get to know our guests a little bit more and to kind of dig into those uh, teenage years. So, Tim, when you were a teenager, who was your favorite band? Yeah, when I was a teenager, I was growing up in the mid '90s, so it was peak yes. tooth and nail, punk, hardcore, metal, uh, and so yeah, that was absolutely my jam. Um, thing about living in Australia, it's a very long way away from Seattle <laughs> or LA, where most of the tooth and nail that bands are hanging out. So we didn't actually get many over here. Uh, and you also are betting on the local Christian bookstore to get the latest CDs in, which is always yeah. a bit hit and miss. Spotify was um, a little bit slow back remember, then, right? Bit, <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. There's no such thing as streaming it out. You had to hand mm-hmm. over your hard-earned money to uh, get a CD. But when I was about 15, 16, I think, uh, one of my first concerts was MXPX came out during their Life in General album. They played a pub gig nearby all ages and it was one of these pub gigs with no green room so them i think it might have been no fx some other up-and-coming punk band were just you know they're just in the room uh in each other's sets and so we watch mxpx play thought it was awesome and then just just hung out with them on the balcony talking crap and yeah it was just it was lovely so that that was definitely a highlight of my teenage years that's awesome i love that um, so, uh, obviously Tim, you're, you're located in, in Australia. Um, so could we, uh, could you just give us a, a quick snapshot about, um, youth ministry, children's ministry in Australia and tell us a little bit about YouthWorks and what, what YouthWorks is all about and what they do. Yeah. So YouthWorks is essentially the children's and youth ministry department of the Anglican diocese in Sydney. And our vision is to see an effective youth and children's ministry in every church. Um, And we've intentionally not said anything about denomination or geography in that vision statement. So even though our primary Mm -hmm. jurisdiction is Anglican churches in the greater Sydney area, we really want to use the resources we have to bless as many churches we can anywhere and everywhere in the world. So uh, YouthWorks, it's quite a large department, uh, quite a large organisation. There's lots of different teams involved. We have a camping ministry, conference centres. We have a post-high school gap year program called Year 13. There's a publishing arm. People can look at youthworksmedia.com and you'll find whole lots of stuff there. Uh, And then there's the two teams that I'm primarily uh, involved in. So the main team that I work for is called Ministry Support. There's nine of us who are children's and youth ministry advisors, uh, I guess consultants, you could say, an awesome administrator, Paul. Um, And our job basically is to go out and meet with local churches and help them do their ministry well. So I spend most of my time in my car, driving around, uh, visiting places and helping them do effective youth and children's ministry. And then uh, we also have a vocational college, so YouthWorks College, People come to be trained to be youth and children's ministers. Uh, they've got some full-time faculty that teach, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, church history, ethics, sexuality, all of those kinds of core subjects for youth ministry. Uh, and then my the team I'm a part of, we come and teach the core children's, youth, and intergenerational ministry mm-hmm. subjects. And every student will do uh, three of those as part of their course. So what does... Um... What does youth youth group look like in Australia? Like, how, how is that? What, when do when do you guys meet? Like, what does youth ministry in Australia look like? 
Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I've realized from a few chats with yeah. people in America is uh, we do youth ministry on Friday nights, which I've said that at a conference once and people thought, that's really yeah. weird. And I thought, why is that weird? And they go, oh, because school sport and collegial sports are all on Friday nights. You'd never get anything going. Like, oh, that's really interesting. We don't have any of those kind of things. Yeah. We have weekend community sport, but school sport's not a thing. So Friday night is fairly typical. Uh, you've got uh, often kids' clubs in the afternoon, uh, youth groups in the evening, and then on a Sunday, uh, somewhere around the main, uh, I guess, worship service or gathering, uh, you might have age-specific groups. You might have more or less integration with the larger uh, worship service, depending on the church. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it varies a little bit. Within the Anglican system, which we're responsible for, there's about 260 churches in the Sydney Diocese. Um, you've got very small churches, would be one minister with about 12 to 20 people, maybe one or two families. Probably our largest churches would be getting close to uh, maybe just under a 1,000, might have 120 kids, 100 teenagers. We don't really have the mega church size churches yeah. in Australia. That doesn't really uh, happen over here. Um, so, yeah, really large churches would be around the 1,000 mark. Um and I suppose demographically, uh, we're not as Christian as parts of mm -hmm. the US, not as secular as parts of Europe. We're somewhere in the <laughs> middle, but definitely trending yeah. towards very post-Christian yeah. and secular. So our last census, which was 2021, 44% uh, ticked okay. Christian yeah. on the census uh, and 39%, so not yeah. that far off, ticked no religion. So, uh, and, you know, the rest is made up of sort of minority uh, religions for our uh, context. Uh, so, and then obviously those who go to church is much lower right. again. So somewhere between 16 to 20% of people would go to a church monthly. Um, about 13% of Australia would go weekly uh, or more often. So it's definitely a post-Christian yeah. environment. Most people you meet walking out the door are not Christians, would have no idea about Christianity, really. Um, they're not necessarily mm -hmm. hostile. Yeah. They just don't know what it is. And uh, a friend of mine recently, I read, was reading his book, and he said, "Oh, look, it's, it's similar to going next door and knocking on the door and saying, look, uh, why have you rejected the beliefs of Buddhism?' Uh, and the person would look at you and go, I've never considered Buddhism. I'm, I'm not rejecting anything. I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it would be the same for Christianity, you yeah. walk up to the average person and say, why don't you believe in Jesus? Like, I, I don't know, yeah. I just never really thought about it. So yeah. that's the kind of that's context. That's a really helpful way of putting it. So, yeah, good. Well, I, I'm excited to talk with you um, for, for multiple reasons. I, I've We've connected over social media some, and um, yeah, I really have come to, to deeply appreciate YouthWorks and uh, what you're uh, presenting and providing for, for local churches. In Australia, uh, I think we 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 view uh, student ministry, children's ministry very similarly, and so um, yeah, I've been looking forward to talking with you uh, for for quite some time. So happy to to make this happen. Yeah, thanks, Mike. That's really yeah. kind. Um, so I, I also think it's interesting to um, hear from non-American voices just about um, about youth ministry and about the church. Um, it's really easy for us, um, especially in the States, but kind of just in general, uh, it's really easy for us to continue leading our ministries the way that uh, we've just been doing it for the last few decades, you know, to like keep on keeping on. Um, but I think it's really important for us to build our ministries on a biblical foundation instead of just either reacting against what we've been doing wrong or just to continue perpetuating <laughs> what we've been doing that we think is pragmatically working well. Uh, but instead to be like Bible first, right? Like let's like be Bible first about ministry philosophy and like what even is youth ministry and what even is children's ministry, biblically speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, if if a youth leader wanted to build their ministry on a biblical foundation, and I sure hope they do, uh, what are some of those cornerstones uh, that you think really need to be there? And uh, what are some scriptures that would be important for youth workers to wrestle with? 
Yeah, I think uh, the the first cornerstone is, of course, Jesus. Uh, the saying in my church is Jesus changes everything, which is not particularly unique, yeah. but it's very catchy and it sticks in your mind that uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the absolute foundation of everything Amen. that we do as Christians. Uh, it's it's who we are as a church. It's who we are as Christians. It's how we live out in the world, and obviously, it's how we do ministry. So, you know, we need to be soaked in the Gospels. We need to be soaked in those New Testament epistles. Uh, I suppose if you want to go to particular passages, Mark 8, uh, Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, that's, you know, key foundational. Um, John 6 is one of my favorite verses where uh, Jesus says, yeah, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it says the disciples turned and left him and he turns to the 12 and says, well, what about you guys? And they say, well, where else are we to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And what I take it that means is not that they understood anything more about eating flesh and drinking blood than those who left, but they'd seen enough of Jesus to trust him and walk with him even when they didn't mm-hmm. understand. So I think that's really key. And then, of course, right throughout the epistles, you have different articulations of the gospel. Ephesians 2 is a really easy one from death to life so that no one can boast, it's all by grace, uh, so that we can do the good works prepared in advance for us, to, you know, God has prepared in advance for us to do. So that'd be some of the ones. Just to, It obviously has to be yeah. grounded in Jesus. Uh, that's yeah. our distinctive. That's who we are. Uh, if we're not in everything we do, if we're not shouting out, Jesus changes everything, then, yeah, you, as you say, we might end up with pragmatics. We might end up with being reactionary. We might end up with just doing same old, same old, but keep coming yeah. back to that. I suppose the other big cornerstone is the biblical narrative, you know, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, uh, and therefore Jesus is located in that larger narrative. And so when we think about how we engage with the world, uh, when we think about any of the issues that face us, particularly in a post-Christian mm-hmm. or secular world, just to keep thinking, how does that fit within a creation for redemption, restoration yeah. framework? It's just really yeah. helpful to know, okay, so how do I minister to this young person in front of me? How do I speak thoughtfully about this uh, cultural, political, ethical, whatever it is, idea? Just continue bringing it to that narrative and say, well, where does it fit here? Uh, and so therefore, how does a biblical narrative shape how we do ministry. So they'd be two cornerstones that I yeah, could think of. That's really good. Um, so with, uh, with youth pastor theologian, one of the ways that um, we've come to, to phrase kind of actually those two things, and I didn't know that's how you're going to respond. Um, but a lot of that comes down to what, what we call the narrow gospel and the broader gospel, right? Just the, uh, the broad gospel, the yeah, sense nice. of salvation history, right? Creation, fall, redemption, glorification. Um, and then the narrow gospel really is uh, zoning in or honing in on the redemption story of how can we be saved in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it really is. Yeah, it, I love it. Fundamentally, if we if we are not building upon and around the gospel, then what are we even doing, right? Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Can you talk a, a little bit um, about the, the importance of intergenerational ministry and the local church in student ministry, what what place does the church and other generations and parents have in a healthy and biblical youth ministry? Yeah, I, I firmly believe that God has made us to be intergenerational disciples. He's actually designed us to need one another uh, and to need us to be with those who are different to ourselves. Uh, and that goes for all ages. Uh, so all ages need other ages to keep sharpening them uh, and honing their discipleship to be more and more like Jesus. So there's lots of benefits. I mean, I teach for 26 weeks on this, so I could talk <laughs> as, long, as long as you want. I don't think um, we have that long. But uh, assen- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, essentially, for in the way it works out in, in children's and youth ministry is uh, I'm a big believer in peer-oriented ministry, so age-sensitive ministry. I think it's great the five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds to have spaces where they're hanging out with their peers, where they're learning about the gospel and being able to give expression to their faith uh, in ways that are age and stage appropriate. However, if that's where it stops and that's where it has stopped for many, many decades, then 
all we're doing is creating a community that you naturally graduate mm-hmm. out of, and we see the disastrous effects of that. I think in Australia, uh, about 40% of young people who are growing up in Christian homes uh, are, have left the faith by the time they turn 21. I believe the stat is even bigger in America. Yeah, it is. And so there's been an, a growing mm-hmm. awareness in the last sort of 15, 20 years that, hold on, something's yeah. broken. Something's not working. We thought that if we gave people peer experiences where they can really dig deep in the faith uh, with people who are just like themselves, that that would be successful ministry. And in some ways, it looks successful because you get a lot of bums on seats. Uh, you get a lot of people yep. in your ministry because there was true insight in the homogeneous unit principle, which was people like hanging out with people mm-hmm. like themselves. The problem with it, that is when you naturally graduate from children's ministry into youth ministry, there's yep. a bit of a drop-off. Uh, and when you move from youth ministry to the adult church, there's a natural drop-off. Um, well, I say natural. Yeah. We've created yeah. Yeah, the drop-off. Totally. And part of it is we, we didn't embed those young people into a fuller life of the church. And so some of the really helpful research from uh, Fuller Youth Institute, from Barna, um, from Awana, all of this just keeps reinforcing the same thing. Young people need Christian adults who they are not related yes. to. And, and that's one of the biggest statistical um, correlations for sustained faith. Uh, and so, yeah, we, so age sensitive ministry. Really, really key. Lots of great fun you can have in youth ministry. But if those teenagers, if their only expression of ministry uh, is in an age-sensitive place and they don't know anyone in the adult congregation or they only know their leaders, uh, then you're setting them up to fail um, because their only Christian community is one that you naturally graduate out of um, and, quite frankly, unless they become leaders, are not welcome to in two, three years' time where are they going to land if they're not already embedded in relationships with those who are you know, 10 years older, 20 years older, 50 years older, uh, then they're yeah. not going to last. Yeah. Uh, so is it common in Australia for, for youth and children to be separate from the gathered worship? Like when, when the, when the church meets for worship on Sunday morning, are our children and teenagers in the sanctuary worshiping with the church or are they off separate? Uh, it varies greatly, but a lot of it will have some sort of age separate. For the entirety ministries. of the worship service so, or just for a part? Uh, yeah. Again, it's a mixed bag. Uh, so you've got some churches that um, everyone will be in together for the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes, where you sing songs, do some liturgy, do some prayers, uh, hear the announcements, and then uh, the Younger people will go out to you know, Sunday school type rooms um, and leave the adults behind. Depending on the church, that might go all the way up to um, high school. You might include high schoolers in the church service for the whole time, or you might have separate high school groups during that time. So it's a little bit of yeah. a mixed bag. But I think what we're um, uh, often the it's not necessarily the practice but it's what do you see as right. successful um, and a lot of the churches that are accidentally more multi-generational it's because of a lack of resources and when you ask them what would your gold standard yeah. be if you were to double in size would what would you do kids. oh we would put on yeah more separate classes we would break down those grades even further uh and so you've got a lot of smaller churches which are accidentally yeah. multi-generational um, and then the larger the church, the more you tend towards uh, breaking down as much as possible. Sometimes that's just yeah. logistics. Yeah, if you outgrow your church right. size, then what do you do? Well, just if we just move the kids out for the whole time, we can fit more adults in, um, which again is yeah. pragmatic. Um, it doesn't necessarily form faith, but like a lot of people don't have any other yeah. tricks up their sleeve to yeah, know how do? to grow their church. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is in, an interesting topic, um, and one that I think is crucially important. Um, but yeah, so I was surprised. Um, 
you know, through through Youth Pastor Theologian, I've been able to talk with um, more youth workers outside of the states than than I had previously. Um, and I was surprised by the number of youth of churches in the UK and Ireland who pretty much have teenagers entirely separate from from the gathered body during pretty much the entire Sunday morning worship experience. Um, and when the, these youth workers kind of push for students to be in as part of the worship service, they get real, um, they, they have a real steep climb to advocate for teenagers to really be a meaningful part of Sunday morning worship. And um, I just think we're, yeah. we're, we're literally teaching kids that church is irrelevant for them. If if we separate them like that, yeah, we're, I, we're training like the, the them best... to not go to church when they graduate, right? Yeah, and I think like to the best intention, like I believe that people, you know, from from the seventies um, onwards, when this sort of yeah the the mm-hmm. parachurch movement became professionalized and came into the local church, yeah, you know, I be- genuinely believe people want oh, yeah. to see teenagers um, mm-hmm. come to Christ. And they believe that this was the yep. best possible way to do that. Um, it's just that uh, we've realized now, uh, 70 years later, yeah. how mistaken that was um, and what the hindsight was. So, you know, 2020 hindsight, you know, kind of thing. And so we yeah. have the opportunity now. And I think that we are definitely um, at a moment where people are realizing, oh, this, this really matters. Um, I was just finished yesterday rereading uh the second edition of intergenerational christian formation and one of the new chapters right at the end there that uh the authors have put in is uh, this is a movement whose time has come uh and i think that we're seeing that everywhere i've the last well the only two times i've been to the states was to come to the intergenerate conference in nashville and there's lots of people there from a broad denominational um bent and also people from all over the world who are thinking, yeah, there's something in this. We can, whether we know how to articulate it or not, we resonate that, yeah, this yeah. actually makes more sense. It actually makes sense of who the body yeah. of Christ is. It makes sense that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, Greek or um, yeah. Jew, yeah. all of those that Galatians <laughs> passage that I'm butchering. Likewise, uh, generational yeah. distinctives are yeah. relevant, uh, but they're also the gospel transcends and the more we can express the transcendence of generations uh, in our time together, uh, the more we're articulating the gospel. The other thing I think just to say before we move on is uh, it doesn't have to only right. be the worship service. So one of the things I'm really passionate about as well is uh, the that worship time is not the only time or should not yes. be the only time you're actually in community together. Uh, and... I think a lot of places that I see, they go, oh, we've got all the generations in our worship service together. Yeah. Therefore, we're intergenerational. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Maybe. It's a good start. Um, but, I mean, yeah. I catch a train every Monday morning from my southern suburb of Sydney into the CBD. It's about a 40-minute train trip. There's all generations represented there. Is it intergenerational? <laughs> well, no, because I don't know yeah. or particularly care about the other people in my train carriage. Uh, and sadly, a lot of our churches are the same. I mean, you might have all generations yeah. present. But that doesn't mean that you have meaningful discipleship, mutual reciprocal relationships with those other people. Uh, and so there's lots of other things that we can be doing. We can have meals together as a church body. We can have intergenerational small groups, intergenerational mission teams. We can do things during the week, uh, just spend lots of time with each other. So, yeah, there's there's lots of ways to express that. And the worship service may be a part, um, but for some churches, it's not even the key part of their intergenerational yeah, expression. Yeah, I think that's that's really good. Um, so about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, uh, one of our writers, Nick Hartman, uh, wrote an article about cross-generational ministry. And so he was trying to make an argument for even just changing out, like when we talk about intergenerational, you can be exactly like you said about the um, the train carriage, right? That you can have lots of generations together, but that doesn't really mean that you're mixing together so he in in his article cross-generational ministry i'll link that in the show notes um yeah he's trying to make the argument that just because you have the generations together that doesn't mean that they really know each other um so yeah this is a topic that (laughs) is definitely one of my um hot button 
so uh, we need to move on because um, I could I could make the entire episode about this. And there's more things I want to talk to you about. Um, so in a, a secular culture like Australia, um, I could imagine some people assuming that you need to go light on Bible teaching or doctrine in order to be relevant or culturally with it, right? Uh, so how do you how do you recommend uh, youth workers to be like Bible first, uh, doctrinally oriented um, in a tough ministry culture like yours? Uh, can you talk a little bit to biblical and theological depth in a um, difficult secular culture? Yeah, I think no matter what culture you're in, and even if you're in a predominantly Christian or Christianized culture, using relevance or cultural coolness as a measuring stick is just inherently yeah. fraught because you're always going to be chasing what culture says. And, um, and part of that, I think, is that teenagers see through yeah, inauthenticity. So whether it's a easy culture, in inverted commas, uh, or a tough culture, uh, I think the best thing is just to be authentically and confidently Christian. Um, not arrogant. You know, if you're being a jerk, you're doing it wrong. But non-anxiously, calmly, but still confidently putting Jesus first and being clear about what we believe. Uh, and so when it comes to doing ministry, if, if we do something that is you know, culturally relevant and that's our yeah. measuring stick, not only are we doing a disservice to the gospel, but we're also doing a disservice to our neighbours. What they need is not a pizza night and a switchfoot concert and a five-minute Bible talk. What they need is the deeply impacting and formative discipleship of Jesus, whether it's being introduced to him for the first time and realising that he speaks to the deep longings of their heart uh, or whether it's shaping and forming disciples who already trust in Jesus but need to know how to live in a world that are constantly pulling them in other directions. So, you know, we've, we've got a whole generation, uh, you know, it's our generation, right, Mike, that, you know, 30 to 40-year-olds who are deconverting and deconstructing because what we converted them to, what we constructed for them uh, was really soft discipleship and, you know, yeah. a bad night. Uh, rather, and so they, you've got all these ex-evangelicals that all seem to be yeah. about our age, um, and like it's no wonder because we didn't form them deeply uh, in the church. And this, I'm really thankful for my youth minister, who's now my senior minister, and That's I'm awesome. on the team with at church. Um, is is the the way that he just bought in to this confident, yeah. non-anxious, but gentle and generous gospel proclamation that just says we're just going to talk about jesus um and we'll do all the fun stuff as well because it's really Mm -hmm. fun being a christian uh being a christian is awesome so of course we'll celebrate with a band night of course we'll eat pizza and you know because being a christian is wonderful but the bible was always central and unapologetically central um some of your listeners might have seen the uh, jesus revolution movie um, about the, yeah. the Jesus people um, in the 60s and 70s. And there's a scene there that I didn't realise how much my youth minister had taken from uh, that movement. But uh, they're just a big crowd of people. The minister holds the Bible up in the air and everyone sits down and they just do a Bible talk. And that's what yeah. we have done is, you know, it might be we might be out and about, we might be at a beach, a public beach, we might be at the local basketball court, we could be at um, a skate park doing youth group because it's really fun doing those things as teenagers. And at some point in the night, the leader will hold up a Bible and all the core Christian kids who know what's going on go, oh, great, it's talk time. And they sit down um, and Mm -hmm. you're in public. You've got all these people around going, what is going on? And not anxiously, not being a jerk about it, but just confidently saying, hey, we're Christians, we love Jesus, here's a parable, Uh, here's what it means by it. Um, Do that for 10, 15 minutes. Um, and you get heckles from the side, you get people walking by going, what's going on? Uh, yeah. But you just, there it is. we're Christians and yeah. this is what we do. Um, and I think that's what teenagers yeah. are looking for. Uh, you know, the, 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 again, the, the Fuller Youth Institute research, the Barna research shows that teenagers can yeah. see through inauthenticity. They're looking for genuineness. Um, and so just be genuine. Uh, if you love Jesus, 
if you genuinely think he's the best possible news for your friends, your neighbours, the teenagers in your school, open up the Bible and tell them about it. Um, and if you don't think Jesus is the best news for all those people, right. you probably shouldn't be in ministry. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah. I think a lot of people our age who have deconstructed and walked away simply um, don't know hardly what they were walking away from. Right? Like it, it's like this this doctrineless this Christianity. I... So then when the hashtag blessings, right, turns into suffering or doubt or divorce or parents, you know, suffer with cancer, like life happens and it's not always pretty. Um, and you say, you look yeah. at your faith yeah. and you say, like, does my faith have anything to say to this? And I, I'm really concerned by the ah theological character of so many youth ministries um, to just think that theology and doctrine are irrelevant or maybe theology and doctrine are for mature believers, but not new believers or non-believers. And I really think that we need to just put the Bible and sound doctrine first um, so that kids actually know what we're calling them to. And when, when suffering comes and when doubts happen and when their friends ask them really hard questions, um, maybe, maybe we're calling them into a faith that's big enough for them to grow into instead of a faith that they're going to outgrow pretty quickly. So. Yeah. But Jesus got that parable about, you know, Mm -hmm. counting the costs, you know, the the builder who wants to build a tower, um, and I would love to hear an evangelistic sermon oh, on that man. passage yes. where the altar call was, you probably shouldn't yeah. come down the yeah. front now um, because you have not yep. thought this through. Uh, and here is the reality of what it means to be a Christian. And we are calling you into deep, deep yeah. discipleship. Um, and, yeah, to, to you know, slow people down. Uh, and this is, you know, some of the early church stuff. I was listening to a sermon recently and they were just talking through the pre-baptism oh, yeah. pre- oh, yeah. preparation for someone in the yeah. in the early centuries. Uh, and yeah, the, this is my memory of the conversation anyway, was uh, you weren't allowed to meet mm-hmm. with the other Christians until you had gone through this course yeah. and, you know, learned all these things, learned yeah. catechism, be able to say things. And then you were baptized and brought into the people. And it was just yeah. slow. Yep. It was really deliberate, uh, and part of it, I think, you know, particularly when you're under persecution from the Romans, you want to make sure you're right. protecting your people from potential spies or whatever. And you know, probably people, uh, church, you know, church groups in persecuted areas of the world that yep. have this as the same as well. But also, it was mm-hmm. about formation. It was about we want you to really believe or really know what it is you're committing to before yep. you commit. Because it's going to cost you mm-hmm. everything, and it's going to be totally yep. worth it. Uh, but don't be naive about the cost. And we've got soft discipleship. Uh, we've got you know easy altar calls. Life is going to be great. Um, hashtag blessings, and yeah. that's just not yeah. the Christian life. Uh, and yeah, if we're not calling people into the genuine article then it's no wonder they walk away going, this isn't what was promised to yeah, me. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, I actually just finished um, writing a paper on catechetical discipleship and youth ministry, where uh, part of Beautiful. it was talking about that disciplina arcani, right? That, the secret discipline of um, where, yeah, the inquirers weren't even allowed to observe the Lord's Supper or sometimes even listen to the sermons um, because they needed to put first things first and learn the the fundamental elements of the gospel before they heard the more mature and difficult stuff. Otherwise they're, yeah, part of it. Uh, yeah. I don't remember if it was Cyril in Jerusalem or Augustine who was saying, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna just start at wandering down rabbit trails, theological rabbit trails that you're not ready for. So you need to, you know, excuse the non-believers and the new inquirers before those things. So yeah, it is really interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. I think the flip side is that we also want, um, yes, our church services, but particularly yeah. our midweek yeah. youth groups um, to be places yeah. of inquiry yes. and yes. places of questioning and places of doubt. And so 
another really interesting thing is that we, I think theologically, we would love people to believe uh, and then to become yeah. and then to belong. So we have these kind of pattern. We'd love people to become Christians first uh, and then welcome into the church, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not actually how it happens. Um, majority of people will come along to a church because yeah. they're curious. They'll come along to a youth group. They'll find a community who love them, yeah. who welcome them, who say, uh, we really, it's awesome that you're here. Uh, check out this Jesus with us. Uh, and over weeks, months, sometimes years, as they participate in this community, they're hearing the stories of Jesus. They don't know if they want to commit yet, but they want to engage in some way. And so uh, so as well as calling people to a hard doctrine, I think we also want to create communities where the unbeliever is deeply loved and deeply welcomed to bring all of their messiness and all of their, um, their worldliness uh, and all of their questions and doubts. Um, yeah. I, you know, I kind of flippantly said to a few people, are you really doing youth ministry if you don't have people vaping in the bathrooms? Because <laughs> um, yeah. if, if you don't actually um, – no, I've been facetious all, a little but bit. Only a but only a little also, bit. Yeah. If you don't have – only a little bit. Because I mean, if you don't yeah. have non-Christians coming who feel welcome, then, I mean, you, you might be discipling the existing people. That's great. But we also want a mission. Like there are – Thousands and thousands and thousands of teenagers in our neighborhoods, uh, in our community sports, yeah. in our schools who don't know Jesus, and we want yeah. them to know Jesus. And so we create spaces for them to come yeah. and ask questions. Um, and because being a Christian is so serious, we allow them the space and the time over weeks, months, years to know what they're committing to before we ask yeah. them for commitment. I think that's yeah. really Yeah, well, helpful. and if you don't have any troublemakers or difficult kids in your group, when you go on retreats or camps or anything, then are you really reaching the lost? Uh, or do you have a group yeah. culture that makes them hide who they really are in order to conform to meet your expectations? So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that'd be the other thing. They might be, you know, squishing who they really are. To yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So as you talk with youth workers um, uh, who are coming into a new ministry, um, right, I'm thinking about uh, both brand new youth workers um, who, you know, it's their first church, it's their first ministry. Uh, and I'm also thinking about maybe someone who's a bit seasoned, who has some experience behind them, but they're coming, they're starting in a new church. Um, so they might be starting a ministry from scratch, right? Um, there's no youth ministry existing and they're coming in and starting. Um, or maybe they're coming in to a new place that has an existing ministry and they're kind of observing what's happening and they're, taking some of the things that we're, we're talking about here and trying to apply it into an already existing structure. How can new youth workers come into a place like that and apply some of these principles? Like what does that really look like on the ground? Yeah. Um, I mean, a shameless plug uh, at, at YouthWorks, we have an assessment tool called the Effective Ministry Tool uh, so if you go to youthworks.net, at the top of the page, you can hover over ministry support, click on effective ministry tool, um, and it's built around uh, what we believe are the seven principles of effective ministry. And that will take you through step by step. It's quite comprehensive to measure how effective your current youth or children's ministry is. Um, but whether you use that tool or not, uh, in order to make change, you need to know where you currently are and where mm -hmm. you want to be. And so a, a process that I find really helpful for that is uh, it's called the practical theology cycle. Um, and so there's just four key questions. Uh, it's what is going on? Why is that going on? What ought to be going on? And how do we respond? So those four questions come from uh, Richard Osmer, um, practical theology. But Essentially, that's just a really helpful framework to think, well, you're walking to a new situation. If you're walking to a brand new church, you might, well, you will need to yeah. ask those questions with some yep. existing staff, maybe the previous youth minister, uh, key leaders, even the parents, the teenagers themselves. Hey, what's youth group like? Tell me about it. 
Um, and then your own observations, of course, as you sort of settle in. Um, so what is going on? Why is it going on? Try to dig underneath what is happening here. Um, so, you know, a good example, why are so many of our 17 to 20-year-olds dropping away from faith? There's, it's multifactorial, um, and so, but you're looking at why that is. One of the, uh, not the only factor, but one of the factors might be they graduated out of youth group and didn't really feel settled anywhere else. Or uh, much more common in America, not as common in Australia, but you know, moving away for your, your right. next stage of education. So you guys seem to be super transient. We're very less transient um, than yeah. it seems you guys are. Um, but that's a big thing. You, know, you leave high school, you also yeah. leave your community um, and you're trying to establish yourself and reinvent yourself somewhere else. Are you taking your Christian identity with you? So you, you know, asking why that's going on. What ought to be going on? Again, we go back to the scriptures. What does discipleship look like? What does engagement in the body of Christ look like? Uh, are these young people, whether they're children or teenagers, are they Christians? Are they part of the body of Christ? Are they part of the community? Um, you know, if you go right back to infants, then there's going to be some theological differences between those who are uh, more covenant theologian versus more Baptistic um, confessional mm-hmm. baptism. Uh, but somewhere in that, messy middle yeah. Uh, yeah saying yeah these young people are capable of saving faith many of them have saving faith therefore what does the bible say about their engagement so right looking at those kinds of things yeah. and what do they yeah. need to grow um and they they need deep rich discipleship that is age appropriate shaped in a way that's engaging for them but doesn't limit any of the uh high impact high engagement yeah ministry that we need to do. So, yeah, so there, there are a couple of things. And think about also um, what would a graduate of your ministry look like uh, and then work backwards mm, from there. I love that. So if you're in children's yeah. ministry, uh, what does the person that you want to hand from your children's ministry up into your youth ministry, right. what do they look yeah. like? Who are they? What do they believe? What do they believe about God? What do they believe about the Bible? What do they believe about the church? Um, and how then do I map backwards uh, the discipleship they need to be that kind of person? And the same with youth group. What is the 18-year-old who's leaving high school, what do they look like? Let's map that backwards and say, okay, here's what we need to do uh, in order to shape that kind of a graduate from our I was visiting a church uh, a number of years ago now. They ran an, a boys-only group, uh, kind of like a scouts yeah. or a boys' okay. brigade kind of thing for yeah. for boys. Um, and it was, uh, what, an hour and 25 minutes of games and tying knots and learning how to play soccer and lots of running around. And they did a five-minute, really simple, here's one verse, here's a big idea, all right, see you later, go home. And I sat down with them afterwards and I said, what do you want for these boys? And they gave me the correct answer, which was, we want to see them be godly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, excellent. How does your program shape them to be godly? And they all kind of looked there sheepishly going, uh, I don't really. But they could tie some like, awesome yeah. knots. I mean, there was very little. They can tie awesome knots. That's brilliant. Uh, and probably engaging. I mean, yeah. it was engaging time. Yeah. The kids had a lot of fun. But if your yeah. outcome is to have godly men, uh, yeah. very little of what you did, almost nothing that you did, yeah. help them towards that goal. And so that's how we can think. And about that how type of drift shape. happens uh, and so slowly. Then the last question and right under your nose without realizing it, right? I mean, those leaders totally. were well intentioned, faithful, right, Tr- doing their best, but it just happens. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes yep. I've—I'll be honest—I've. Uh, periodically evaluated my own youth ministry and kind of looked and gone like, oh man, like, yeah, what are we, what am I doing? <laughs> like, this is, we're just, we're starting to lose it. So um, I, I know that time is already um, at that timer for when I said we wanted to wrap up, but I, I'm really interested in your planning backwards thing. Can you just give me one concrete example of what you mean by, by map it backwards? Um, so say 
by the time I want, by the time students graduate from my youth ministry, I want them to know how to read and study the Bible. How would I map that backwards? Yeah. So if I want them to be able to read and study the Bible, then I'm going to be giving them tools. I'm going to be helping them do that. I'm going to have time every week uh, in my ministry. Uh, and if you can, multiple times a week where I'm helping them uh, open up the Bible, find a passage. How do you know? If I put up on the screen, Mark 8, 24, would you know how, like this is a you know 1500, 1500 page book. Do you know how to get to that particular sentence? You know, just real simple, slow stuff like that. So that you're showing them how to walk that through and then how to study it for themselves. Uh, and so think about um, how do the, what's the context of the passage? Um, what's the structure mm-hmm. of the passage? Uh, what's the big idea of the passage? How would you know? What are some of the supporting ideas yeah. of the passage? What was the application back then? So the original hearers, what did God want of them to live as faithful disciples of Yahweh, if you're in the Old Testament, or Jesus, if you're in the New Testament? Um, and then what's the application now? So that, that's yeah. a six-step process. We teach that um, at one of our conferences at YouthWorks. We were teaching junior leaders. Uh, but something like that that says, okay, I'm going to purposely equip you in these things. We're going to slow down and do this with you. Uh, and then another important part is equipping the household as well. Yeah. So many of our teenagers, hopefully not all, because hopefully we're missional mm-hmm. to those who are from non-Christian households, but many of our teenagers will be from Christian homes and you're partnering with them because the parent has more access and more influence over them than you do. So how can they help the parents to also walk beside their teenagers to do that. Um, and then, as I said, trying to find as many touch points during the week with these same teenagers as possible. There's one church I know of down here um, south of Sydney where they have Wednesday morning before school yeah. meetups yeah. with um, a few high schoolers, and then they make sure they get off to school on time. Then they have Friday night group then they have sunday morning and many of them are in ministry to kids and then they have sunday night they've also got another service so there's multiple touch points and so all the way through you're building relational capital which is really key but you're also just inputting on them how to read the bible this is what it means and if you've got mature teenagers putting them in kids ministry as well because there's nothing like having to learn a passage if you're the one responsible for teaching it yeah and do you have that by stages like uh you have some of the younger students and some of the upperclassmen. Um, do you have them all going through the same exact thing together? Or do you recommend for youth workers to kind of have different like stages that lead up to, hey, now like by the time they graduate, they know what to do, right? They know these this process. Yeah, I mean, you can. The process itself is not particularly difficult, uh, and so you're helping, you're walking it through with them, and part it might shape the way you preach yeah. as well um, that you're also showing. Right. Here's the context. Yeah. Here's the structure. Here's the big idea. Show so some of your homework. If you're not just – that's right. Yeah, show your homework. Absolutely. Um, and that will help them to see, oh, that's how um, Pastor Mike got this application for right. me today from this verse because yeah. here's, a, here's a verse and here's how I live in 2023. That's a massive jump. How do I make that jump? Yeah. Um, so you can, yeah, show your homework, help them to along that line. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, as they grow in age or stage development, yeah, you, know, you probably walk from the less complex to the more complex. So the New Testament letters are probably the least complex because in terms of that biblical story, uh, they're closest to right. our yeah. epoch in time. Um, the Gospels, pretty, not too hard. And then you get to some of the narratives yeah. of the Old Testament. It becomes a little bit harder because they're pre-Jesus. So you need to... So you might not sure. start with Daniel or Ezekiel with the middle schoolers. Well, no. I mean, it's great for them yeah. to know the yeah. stories. It's great to know them to know those books exist. <laughs> um, and you can still teach yeah. them the application. Uh, but in terms of helping them walk it through for themselves, yeah, I'd start right. with some of the uh, yeah. more straightforward yeah. passages first. Yeah. All right. Hey, um, uh, unfortunately, time is time is out, and uh, I, I have more things that I would love to discuss with you. So we'll have to have you back on nice. another time. Um, but yeah, Tim, so thankful for you. Uh, thanks for for YouthWorks and and for your ministry. 
if people want to connect with you over social media or to learn more about YouthWorks, where should our listeners go? Yeah, so youthworks.net, you'll find all the things that YouthWorks does. So that's the best place to go. Um, if you, uh, again, hover over ministry support, you'll see a little tab called Meet the Team. Uh, me and all the other advisors, we've got our um, phone numbers and emails there so you can connect directly with that. Um, I've uh, I've got a website that I had to build for a uni assignment, actually, so I'm not very good at updating it, um, but timbealhearts.com, uh, you'll see stuff there, lots of historic stuff, and every now and then I put something more relevant up there when I have the time, but that's also got a contact page, so you can send an email to that. Um, I'm occasionally on Twitter, but not really. Um, so you can reach out to me there. But anyway, as I said, my email is on the YouthWorks website. So feel free to email me, say good day. Uh, happy to chat. And um, go make sure if you're listening to this, I'm trusting that you've already subscribed to the Youth Pastor Theologian podcast. Next, log in and uh, subscribe to the Effective Youth Worker podcast. So can you just give us a, a quick 30 second plug for what, what you're the YouthWorks podcast is all about. Yeah, the Effective Ministry podcast um, effective ministry, because yeah. we want to see effective youth and children's ministry in every church. Uh, so the Effective Ministry podcast is the podcast from YouthWorks. Um, there's about 50 episodes up there at the moment, which is most of them have been this year, so it's kind of new-ish. If you go deep uh, down the rabbit hole to the very early episodes, you'll notice that they're all about how do we live in COVID land. Uh, so yeah, we realize that that time is now finished. Um, but yeah, lots of topics that we cover. Um, yeah, love to help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church and we will cover anything and everything to do with that. So yeah, check out the effective ministry podcast. Um, and yeah, you'll have heaps more conversations with me and my friends. All right. Yeah. Great podcast. I've been binging it and, um, highly recommended. So. Again, thanks for thanks for joining us uh, today, Tim. And listeners, thanks for listening in. Thanks for subscribing and for uh, sharing uh, the podcast and YPT resources with your friends and fellow youth workers. We really do uh, rely on your generous recommendations uh, to help spread the word about what Youth Pastor Theologian is doing and for uh, opportunities to serve other youth workers like yourselves. So thanks for listening in, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. YPT's mission is to empower youth workers to pursue theological depth because we're committed to inviting students into a faith that's big enough to grow into. You can learn more about the ministry and other resources we offer at youthpastortheologian.com, and you can find us on most social media at Youth Theologian. <laughs>